Good morning, church family. It's good to be here with you. There's nothing like getting together. You know, the technology is great, but it's just not the same, right? And so it's great to be here together with you. Um, I love communion service. I love, I mean, I love to preach and teach, but there's just something special and intimate. It just, it focuses our hearts and minds on pressing in to him. We know we gather to be together. We know we gather to worship uh, in song with our heart, with our in spirit and in truth. We know that we gather to hear a word, but primarily we come to church to enter into the presence of God. Amen. Amen. To be refreshed and renewed, to meet him here. And uh, I, I read Psalm 34, verse 8, and I love when David says this. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who, taste, who take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I love that because it's a deeply personal invitation. You know, so often, and I mean, Paul does it. He talks about his testimony. He talks about the, other, the testimony of other people as an illustration of God's grace and mercy. There's nothing wrong with our testimony being, uh, you know, out front, being we're trophies of his grace and mercy, but our testimony is for others. Did you know that? Your testimony of what God's taken you through, what maybe he's in the middle of taking you through right now, is a testimony to encourage others to taste and see for themselves. Because I can tell you something's good, but until you taste and see, you don't know how good it is. And that's what David's saying. David's go, David said, look, I know God. I can tell you about my God. I can express to you the love I have for God. But until you taste and see, you're never going to know. You know, we're here in these past few weeks. We've been talking about prayer and fasting, about this, this idea of disconnection and connection. And I'm more convinced than ever that the root cause of all of our problems is that we're disconnected from God. We're disconnected from his word. We're we're disconnected from one another. And I've said before that, you know, people will come here, and I've heard testimony after testimony the past few weeks uh, and months, and just just the other day somebody came to my office, and they said, I just wanted to meet with you just to tell you that I don't even know what's happening to me. They said, I, don't, I didn't know church was, was, was this. I didn't know it was supposed to be like this. I'm having real relationships. I'm sharing with people. I'm being encouraged. Like, my life is being changed. Amen. Praise God for that. Yeah. I mean, that's why we exist. I've said before, years ago, and hear me out, the church should be like a recovery group. Ready? Listen, follow, follow my thought here. If, you, if any of you are in recovery, and I'll make the case in a minute, we're all in recovery. But what do you do when you show up to a recovery group? You show up collectively broken with a group of people that have no pretense other than they want to change, they want to be different, they need each other, and they got to be honest for the first time. Hello, if that's not a definition of the church. Nobody shows up to AA and says, you know how much money I have, you know, do I, what I do for a living. Nobody cares. Doesn't matter. The The foot is even. And so the reality is, in, the, in that same way, and, I, and the, I said I'd make the case that we're, we're all addicted. Every single person in this room is addicted to sin. We have a sin addiction. Jesus is the only cure. And when you find Jesus, you're in recovery from sin addiction. Yes, but you've got to walk the process out. And so what we're trying to do here is, I didn't go, you know, 
I went to school to be a minister after I started to be a minister. So I didn't, I didn't go to school and say, all right, how do you do this? How do you build a church? What I did was I got radically rescued by Jesus Christ when I should have died. I should have been dead. I shouldn't be standing here. And Jesus rescued me, and he redeemed me, and he said, I have a plan and purpose for your life. Amen. And my life in ministry is an overflow of I love Jesus with all my heart, and I love people. And I want them to come to know Jesus. And that's it. That's the core of ministry. That's the secret is that I want to be real with people who say, you know, I'm broken, but I'm being healed by Christ. Can we walk together in that healing? And so there are a lot of things we do corporately. You know, we have groups that meet, tons of groups that meet. We have recovery groups. We have our community groups. We gather here on Sundays. But there, there are things that we do individually that then inform the health of the church. In other words, how you and I behave when we're not together informs our spiritual health when we are together. And so although prayer and fasting, we can do that corporately as a church we did, these are things that should be a part of your life. They should be a part of your spiritual discipline for your own benefit. See, everything that the Lord prescribes for us is because he loves us. He wants us to be nourished. He wants us to have life, to be given life. And so I've shared before with people, the absolute worst day of my life, 34 years old, wife and two kids, I thought I had, you know, I thought everything was great. I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, I had a good job. I got married. I had two kids. I had a golden retriever. I mean, I, I just, this is what you're supposed to do, right? It's the American dream. But I was dying on the inside. And so I ended up getting dropped off at a rehab in Brockton. This is, I'm 34 years old. And, and I've shared this before, and, and I, I share this not because my story is a teen challenge story, but it's because my story is a Jesus Christ story. Amen. And that was just one of the vessels he used. He used different people in different churches and church experiences. But that's where I finally, and I'm going to talk about it, but that's where I surrendered for the first time. And so that was the worst day of my life, being there and being like, yeah, this is bad. And some of you guys, I see, look around the room, I see teen challenge people, right? Like, man, how did this happen? And then I had really no choice because when bad things happen, we can run away from God and you can keep running. See, the thing is, when you run away from God, though, you're always running to something else. Yeah. Right? You're always running to something else. And that thing will have you for a while and then it'll spit you out and you'll be more, you know, further away and more lonely. But what, what are we going to do when that difficulty comes? And in my mind, I wanted to leave. I wanted to run. I was afraid. I felt all those things. I can't stand here and take credit that I, that I stood firm because I didn't even want to stand firm. I tried to leave and God had to close the doors because I was so weak. But at some point, at some point I embraced the process. At some point I said, all right, Lord, I'm not going to run from you. Instead, I'm going to press in. And the reason I share this with you is, as we're going to talk about prayer and fasting, is I can't press in in prayer and fasting for you. I can, 
I can intercede and I can pray and I can stand the gap and my prayer is going to be that you alone would taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm a pastor. I stand here week after week pouring my heart out to you because I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to know that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you think you are, no matter why you're sitting here right now, that there's a God who loves you. Who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he wants a relationship with you. He didn't just set you free from sin and death so you could be distant from him. And so what I learned in Teen Challenge was I had the opportunity, I had the privilege, and I remember Gary Taylor uh, came and visited me at, at Teen Challenge, that was my pastor at the time, and he said, I know that you don't understand this now, but what you have right now, everybody would want. Everybody, it would be great if everybody had the opportunity to take time out of life and just press into Jesus. And I hadn't looked at it like that. I looked at it, all the things I was away from. I was away from my wife. I was away from my job. I was away from what was comfortable. I didn't look at what I was being brought into. I looked at all the things behind me. But God, I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And he said, no. I've shared this before. And, and like... Like most of you, my, my life is a series of, you know, of, of putting my trust and faith in Jesus. And then, you know, you, you make mistakes and you have to recommit. And you have to understand what it means to fully trust and love him. You have to understand what it means to say, all right, Lord, I just took my will back. But you know what? You need to have your way. We just sang a song about allowing to him, him to be a vessel. Allowing him to make new wine, which means what? This discomfort and this pressure. And so in my life, eight months into Teen Challenge, I'm 35 years old, and I'm praying to God to put my life back together. All right, Lord, I understand you have me in this place to press into you, to spend time with you, to be in your word, to be transformed by your spirit. So I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to ask you to give me back everything I had before. I mean, when I say it like that, it sounds silly. I said, Lord, if you would just... Put my family back together, my wife, my children, my job. Just, just help me make a life again. I'm going to follow you. And I thought that that was, I mean, I thought that was fair. You know, I'm supposed to, those aren't bad things. And here's the most profound spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. Is that the best thing that could ever possibly happen to me was that in that moment when I prayed for that, I felt like God, not audibly, but I heard in my spirit him say, no. No, hev heaven isn't everything you want. Heaven is all Jesus. Amen. See, you're asking me to give you your wife and your kids and your life and all those things back. You had those things. You're, you're, you're not seeing the deeper need that you have. And so in that moment... And I, when I say, I mean, it's not hard to believe that I was crying because, you know. But I was ugly, you know, I was snots in the forehead. I was rolling around crying. I was like, when no, you don't care when people look at you, that kind of crying. Right. Well, that's kind of how I got it. But there was, there was a, a sense of authenticity of me for the first time in my life 
realizing I had to be honest with God. Because there were times where I'm like, I believe in you, Jesus, and I believe the Bible to be true, and, and I'm not negating those experiences, but I had never said, you get all of me 100% no reservation, Lord. And by saying that in that moment, and again, I'm not, this isn't a one-time thing, right? You've got to continue to say, Lord, did I just take my will back? But for the first time in my life, saying to God, if the only promise that's fulfilled in my life is the ongoing presence of Christ, that is more than enough. And I think we miss that, church. I think the profound problem that each of us have in our lives is that we're disconnected from God. We can't stand to be still. To know that he is God. Psalm 46.10 says, cease striving. It's counterproductive. Stop trying. No, it means know the limits of your ability. See, God doesn't look around and go, oh, I choose you because you have this amazing talent and this amazing ability. God will use your talents and abilities, but you know who God? God looks around and says, I just want people who are sold out, who just want more of me, who I can work in their lives and in their hearts to bring myself glory. See, disciplines we're called to do regularly, like fasting and prayer, bring us closer, bring us into an awareness of his presence. He's always there. It doesn't make him closer. It just gives us a sense and an awareness. What it does is it pushes everything else further away. So the reason Teen Challenge was the best part of my life is because I had an opportunity to press in, to focus all my energy on my spiritual life. Fasting and prayer is a way for a season, because you can't all take a year and go to a program. It'd benefit us if we could. But to take a season and say, you know what? I have too much stuff that God wants me to do. There's too much important work that I gotta step away. I gotta step away and be filled. I get to step away and, and, and get direction. I get to step away and be strengthened. I get to step away and be refreshed and renewed in Jesus. See, if you look throughout the Bible, I used to think, you know, my schedule's too full. And so I used to try to not be hurried. Anybody ever try that? Good luck. You got kids. You got, you know. Sometimes life is just full. Sometimes the schedule's just full. Jesus was always doing stuff. There was activity always around him, but he wasn't hurried. He wasn't rushed. The things that seemed to be an interruption to the disciples were often the very thing Jesus was there for. Jesus was supremely aware of what he was supposed to be doing. And one of the key characteristics of his life, one of the things he modeled was prayer, was aligning his will with the Father's, was making sure he was in constant communication with his heavenly Father to sharpen our focus and turn us to Jesus, to remove distraction and make time with him a priority for no other reason than his presence. My wife was trying to talk to me the other day and she said, are you listening? I was in the other room playing chess on my phone, and I looked over and yelled over the fan in the kitchen, yeah, I'm listening. 
And then I realized, I don't think that's what she meant. I don't think she meant, yeah, I'm listening when I had a phone, when we're, you know. I think what she meant was, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. And I think how often do we do that with God, right? He's just trying to get our attention. He's just, you, we're going through stuff, and we sit down, we pray for 10 minutes, and, we're out, and he's like, oh, wait, hey, can I, can I talk to you? And you're like, yeah, you can talk to me while I'm texting and while I'm playing my game and while the radio's on. And... See, the, the thing that's going to translate into, the spiritual, into spiritual maturity and spiritual health for you it's not just Bible knowledge. I mean, it's good to read the Bible. We have to understand the word because it shows us who God is. It is your time spent alone developing your relationship with Jesus. It's your time fasting and praying, meditating on his word, spending time with him. There's a part of the Bible and it says, and the crowds knew that they had been with Jesus. I mean, what a testimony. I want that on my gravestone, right? Brian had been with Jesus. You know, when you spend so much time with somebody, they say you start to act like him and look like him, and right? I want to spend so, time, so much time with Jesus that people say, I act like him. See, too often times people don't pray enough. They feel guilty about prayer, embarrassed by prayer, ashamed of prayer. I don't know how to pray. I don't pray enough. I only pray in emergencies. Like, we have this whole, we have this very, we have a, we have a funny view of God. You know, oftentimes we, we view him close, but then we sort of push him away. Then we, 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 thought it, we sort of think he's distant a lot of times. Like this God that doesn't want to be in this close relationship that we can come into his presence, but we better get out real, real soon before he realizes how disappointed he is in us. I mean, right? Like we have a problem with that sometimes. And I think prayer, sort of we look at prayer as just one more area that we fail spiritually. But don't do that. I don't want you to do that. I don't, I don't want you to come here to think of prayer in that way. This is what I want you to think of prayer as. Because as we talk about why pray, fasting, and prayer, it's simply communication. It's simply communication to build a relationship with God. It's spending time. It's communicating. It's listening. It can be journaling. It can involve meditating on scripture. But it's just it's disconnecting from certain things for a season to reconnect to the sustainer of all. I mean, we have family members who are unsaved. We have health issues in this room. We have addiction issues. We have financial struggles. We have all kinds of struggles right now in this room. And prayer is the key. Prayer not only changes outcomes, but it changes us. And what I said earlier in the, in the first service as I was thinking through this is it is okay. In fact, it is good. In fact, we see Jesus pray that a situation changes. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, do this, change this, give me this. That's fine. But here's what I suggest to you. Before you ask God to change the circumstance or the situation, to give you or to take whatever it is that you want, ask this question. Lord, is this your will for my life? Because so often, you know what I think we do? I think we decide what our will is 
And then we pray. But what if we came to God with just a pure hunger and thirst for his presence and we said, Lord, I I don't know. I have more questions than answers. I know I want more of you. I know I can't do it alone. One of the most beautiful prayers ever prayed was a gang member in the streets of New York City. He said, Lord, my life is worth nothing. It doesn't have any value, but if you want it, I give it all to you. Man, what a beautiful prayer. He was wrong about his life having no value, but man, there's nothing more valuable than a life sold out for Jesus. And so prayer is a, is a deeply personal way of acknowledging our dependence on him. It's a humbling way of saying, Lord, there are things that I don't understand, but I want more of you. I want more of your presence. Prayer is just communication with God. And it's something that Jesus did all the time. All the time, Mark 135, a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and then he prayed. A long while before daylight. Like, they gotta throw that in there. Like, for those of us who don't like to get up early, it's like, it wasn't just early, it was early, early, early. <laughs> Luke five sixteen. so he himself often withdrew in the wilderness and prayed. God himself, God in the flesh, who is constantly inundated with crowds and with demands, had so much relying on his ministry that that he had to find time in solitude to separate and to pray, to be in his Father's presence. And we neglect the thing that was so prevalent in Jesus' life that was the one thing the disciples, the one thing in Scripture the disciples said, hey, teach us how to do that. That prayer thing that we see you do all the time. We want to know how to do that. Teach us how to pray. See, it was central to Christ's life. It was a core thing, his connection to the Father. And here's the thing. And I, and I don't want you to, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to listen to this because I'm going to read this because as we're going to talk about what prayer is and we're going to talk about praying and fasting, Jesus in the Bible prays for us. And I want you to listen and recognize what he's praying for and how he's praying and how it ties into everything we've been talking about. This is Jesus in John 17. And it says, beginning of verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus is saying, this isn't just for my disciples. This is for everyone who will come to faith. So now this is the God who created and sustains the universe a couple thousand years ago, deciding that he was going to pray for you and me. And more importantly, he's praying for our lives and our ministries. And this is what he prays. Verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, I don't have too much time. I have a few other points I want to make. But Jesus is praying 
And he's praying for us. And he's praying that the unity reflected in his church, in the bride of Christ, in us, is similar to the unity he has with his father. He's praying that we would have relationships with our heavenly father like he does with his. He's praying that we would have relationships with one another that unite us, not divide us. He's praying that we would get to the place where we would be so prayerful and so heavenly minded and so focused on Christ that our preferences and our ideas and the things we think we need and the things we think we want are drowned away, that drowned out by the words of the Spirit in our lives, making clear. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Jesus is going, I'm praying that the relationship people have with, with the Father and the Son penetrate so deeply, change things so radically that everybody else in the world is going to look at how they behave and say, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I want to be part of that. It's the blueprint for the church. This is what we're called to be. We, you know, we, we make it complicated but we're called to be people who together are falling deeply in love with Jesus, deeper in love with Jesus, and we're trying to be real with each other. That's why we want to get you in a community group. I don't want to get you in a community group so we can say, hey, we, got, you know, we have 160 people. That's incredible. That's like more than half the adults in the church. That's a great number. And that's a, a great metric of health. And what the reason is, is because people want to get involved. They want to be known. They want to have real relationship. And your testimony, the things you're going through, or the things you've gone through, or the things you will go through, you weren't meant to go through these things, those things alone. And your testimony can help somebody else. Your testimony can help somebody else, can encourage somebody else. We're not called to come together just so the pastor preaches. Well, we're not called to, it, it's all of us together sharing our experience with, with Christ, with, with what his word is teaching us. So Jesus repeats this. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we're in one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus' entire prayer centered on relationship and it's centered on unity and it's centered on Pointing everybody to him. That's why it's so important. See, if it was just about me, when I gave my life to Jesus, I would be taken up to heaven. We are left here to do his work. We get to now be part of that great commission. And prayer is just listening to God. It's talking to God. We can pray silently. We can pray out loud. We can pray and meditate on scripture. We can pray and journal. I shared before that years ago. So when I pray, if I pray silently, I tend to get distracted and then I'm all over the map. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm, you know. So I, I pray out loud. Even when I'm alone, I tend to like to pray out loud. Now, now, if you're in your car and you're talking to yourself, it doesn't matter because everybody's on their phone. It looks fine. But when I started that, Back in the day, everyone just used to think I was nuts. I would be talking to myself in my car, and people would be looking at me. But whatever you need to do to keep yourself focused, 
to keep yourself from getting distracted. Take the time. Speak out loud. Speak quietly. And there is a place for corporate prayer for coming together. But I'm focusing here on prayer and fasting as a personal discipline. As something that's a part of your life. This one point speaks volumes when people say, you know, what's the, what are the main reasons we pray? And there are a lot of practical benefits of prayer. The main reason is Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed and we're called to emulate Jesus. And I can think of no better reason than that. Prayer is the ultimate act of spiritual intimacy with God. It should be the central activity in the lives of Christians. It is the ultimate act of spiritual intimacy. It wasn't always that way. People couldn't always just come into the presence of God. And now because of Christ we can. And so often do we neglect that relationship. Scripture says, John 13, I've given you an example. He's given us an example throughout Scripture on prayer. The blueprint of the church hasn't changed. In Acts 2.42, we've read this before. We're familiar with it. The Holy Spirit comes down. The same Peter who was denying he knew Jesus, now he's preaching revival. Thousands of people are getting saved. Lives are being guided and changed by God. This is still the framework. This is still the the blueprint for the church. This is still how it's supposed to look. Prayer is not just an ingredient, it's essential. Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves, that's us. This is the church, this is the first church. Ready, this is what we do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted, they committed, they decided, they showed up. It wasn't something they did on occasion. They were committed to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. To fellowship means to relationship. To breaking of bread means to more intimate relationship. We can't all have dinner all the time. But, you know, you got people you're close to, then you got people you get closer to, and that's how relationships work. So that's indicative of a, of a deeper relationship. And then to prayer. And that's not an afterthought. That's what ties it together. That's the heart of it all. A praying people, a praying church God responds to. And after they, after we, this is what the church did. That's all they focused on. They didn't have an agenda. I've heard it said, we always quote the guy. He said, if you seek out to build a church, you won't necessarily make disciples. But if you seek to make disciples, you'll always build a church. In other words, it's about the people. It's about the people. It's about us falling in love with Jesus as we fall in love with each other, as we fall in love with those in the world who are lost. And it spreads out. So after they devoted themselves, after we devote ourselves to the word of God, which is what we've been preaching on. If you look, since we've come in, we talked about the, the priority of the word of God, about how to eat your Bible, all that stuff. Then we transitioned into prayer and fasting, personal reflection. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And then in verse 43, it says this. Everyone was filled with awe at the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Now, I don't know if it's everyone, but it says everyone. 
And so at the very least, what that means is it was affecting people. That things were happening because they were, it was being talked about. Those people at CFC, man, Jesus is doing something over there. Lives have changed, people getting healed. Like, it's amazing to hear, right? That's what was happening. And what were the people doing? They show up, were they real, love each other, loving Jesus? You know, when I, when I, me and Jamie, we'd go to church conferences, and because my background was something different, and then I became a minister, and then I went to school, I didn't know how you were supposed to do it. So when I, we'd go to these conferences, and they'd be like, so man, tell us about how your church is growing. It's just so awesome to hear. What are you guys doing? I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I literally, they did an article in the paper, and I was quoted as saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's still there. It's good. They're like, so what is your, I was like, I don't know. I just, no clue. I don't. But, you know, and I would talk, and they, you know, and I would talk to the district superintendent, and they would say, you know, what are you guys doing? I'd be like, just being friends with people? Like, I don't know. I mean, that's still a mystery to me. We're, we care about people. We love Jesus with, with every fiber of our being, with all of our hearts. At that moment when I said, Jesus, no matter what it looks like, no matter if my family, no matter what it looks like, I will serve you for the rest of my life until my dying breath, I meant it. I meant it, and we all have to come to that place. And your life doesn't have to be falling apart, and you don't have to be sitting in a rehab in Brockton. It doesn't hurt. But get to that place where you go, you know what, God, no reservation. I'm not going to determine what it should look like. No conditions. I will follow you. Amen. Your will for my life. And then you know what he does? He begins to do things. Yeah. And it's contagious. And it's catchy. And people want to be around that. Why? Because every time somebody runs away from God and they run to something else, it doesn't fulfill them. They're further and further away from the very thing they long for. And that's the condition everybody in the world is in. Every single human being was created in the image of God. Every one of us. And we long. We long for that relationship to be restored. We long to reflect the image of Christ. That's why it brings us so much joy. You ever serve, you ever help, you ever show up and you do something and you impact somebody's life and you get that sense of being in the will of God. There's nothing better than that. That's not just reserved for the few. That's reserved for anyone who will say, here I am, Lord, have your way in my life. Here I am, Lord, use me. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to whoever had need. And then every day they continued to meet together in the courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This was their custom. This is what they did every day. They hung out. They had fun. Praising God and enjoying the favor of the people and the Lord. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They focused on the word of God, on the spirit of God, on being the people of God. They focused on communication with God. And what did God do? God built his church. We got no business trying to play his role in people's lives. I learned a long time ago to let the Holy Spirit have more room. You know, people would call me and I thought I had to say the right thing or I had to fix it or I had to, you know, one of the best phone calls in my life, I got this phone call probably nine o'clock at night 
And you know, I'll, I'll let things go to voicemail sometimes and I'll, and I'll listen and if it's important. And I heard and the person said, you know, can you call me? It's about my husband, you know, call. And it didn't sound that important. I figured, you know, I'm gonna call tomorrow. I'm gonna call the next day. And the next morning I called and, and I said to the woman and it, I had been working with her, with her husband. And, and I said, you know, I got your message last night. And she goes, actually, it's all set. And I said, oh yeah? She goes, yeah, I talked to God instead. I was like, in the future, I suggest you do that every time. But, but she's like, no, you weren't around, and I just prayed about it. I thought, man, that's it, right? Bring it to him. He loves you. See, they kept up with building a community focused on God's word, on real relationship, on meeting needs. And you can only live that way if you allow God to change your heart in prayer. If you spend time with him, Jeremiah 29, 13. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say you may. It doesn't say perhaps. But it says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you're here in this room and you're here because somebody invited you or you're not. You're here because there's a God who's pursuing you in your brokenness and in your mess, who doesn't care about your yesterday, who wants you to meet him, who wants to meet you here in this place, and wants to heal you, wants to set you free. In Teen Challenge, you know, we talked about this idea that Christ captures us only to liberate, that he's more powerful than drugs or alcohol, And that Christ captures us, but he captures us only to liberate us. He captures our hearts to give us true freedom. Prayer is communication with God. It builds up our relationship with God. It's a privilege. See, we enjoy the presence of those who love us, especially when we love them. I want to read this because I thought this was beautiful. In Psalm 17, 8, when David writes, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. David was unique, right? He made all kinds of mistakes, did all, did all kinds of stuff, yet he was a man after God's, God's own heart. He had a special love for God. He understood what repentance means. And it, it says this, the phrase which was first used in the Bible comes from a Hebrew expression that literally means little man of the eye. And where the expression came from is when you're so close to somebody that you can see in their eyes your reflection. That's where that phrase came from. So David's saying, I want my relationship with you to be so close that I am the apple of your eye. That's the way the Bible describes us. Keep me as the apple of your eye. God, David is asking God to keep an eye on him, to not lose sight of him, that he would regard him as a cherished child, the object of great affection. You know, I always try to think of, when I think of God's love for me, I always try to think of as a parent, because that's the, that's the best illustration. There is never a time I love my kids less. When, when they're going through stuff, when they're doing dumb things, even if anything, they get more love of me because I'm trying to engage. I'm trying to be involved in the situation. So the, the expression of love might seem even more when they're in the middle of stuff. But I look 
You know, especially, you know, the other day, I mean, Jolie's like 10. She's not a baby anymore, but she's my baby, you know. But I was tucking her in, and then, you know, she fell asleep, and I just took a picture of just her laying there, just a little angel sleeping, you know. So peaceful. And I just think, you know, I look at my kids, and I'm like, they make me believe in heaven, right? Like, I mean, I know there's a heaven. But sometimes for me, I'm like, if I was a God, I wouldn't have made a heaven for me. You know what I mean? Now, I say that half-jokingly, but the reality is I think we all feel that way. That I think we can look at our kids and we can say, they're so worthy of love. But we neglect the fact that God looks at us like that and says the same thing. That when they're sleeping, when we're sleeping, God wants to take a picture. You say, man, I love you. You're the apple of my eye. I'm going to send my son to die a horrible death on the cross because I want a relationship with you. Because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do apart from me. See, we build ourselves up in prayer. It acknowledges our dependence on God. As the worship team comes up, I just want to encourage you and I want to my last few comments, I just want to note when Jesus responds to the disciples' request to teach us how to pray. Now, they didn't say, teach us what to pray. They didn't say, give us a prayer that we could repeat on and on. In fact, that was the opposite of what Jesus was trying to do. Because when he says... He says, you know, don't just pray and just repeat the same words. Don't just pray and fast and say, everybody look at me. But be authentic, be genuine. So Jesus said this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As the worship team begins to play and we close, and the altars are open and the pastors will be available to pray, I want to reflect quickly on these few elements. And you can just, just listen. You can close your eyes if you want. But when Jesus prays, he begins by focusing on who he's praying to, our Father. That this isn't just well wishes across the universe, that he's praying to the God who created, the God who sustains, the only name under which men will be saved, God our Father. And he thanks him, he prays with gratitude for everything that God's done, for who he is, for the cross. When we pray for his will, God, not just what we'd have, but what you'd have for us, God, your will be done, your ways better than our ways. Then we bring to you a, parti- a, par- a petition, what we need, God. Give us our daily bread. Give us today. We trust in you to fulfill all of our needs, everything we need. And as we consider that, God, your gracious goodness, your extravagant love. We ask for forgiveness, God, in the many ways that we fall short, in the many ways that we seek after things that are not of you. And God, and then we say, forgive us our sins and give us our daily bread because you call us to pray collectively. 
that it's not just about me, but it's about us as your church, as your people, as your sons and daughters. And Father, finally, we meditate on your word day and night as Jesus did. It is what we use to stand on against temptation. So Father, as we close this service, and as we worship you in spirit and in truth with our lips and with our hearts, and as we pray, God, my heart's desire is that we would long for more of you, for more of your word and your spirit and your presence in our lives, God. That we would acknowledge you as our heavenly father, that we would acknowledge our dependence on you, that we would just tell you, God, have your way. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.